0: Steelers, here we go. This is Tailgate Talk with Adam Crowley. What a leaping grab by Antonio Brown on the new sideline. Right. Presented by Corona. Find your beat for game day. Incredible is the only word I can think
1: of. Now, here's Adam Crowley. One,
0: one, and one versus two, and one. The Ravens and Steelers used to mean a lot more than it means right now, but it doesn't mean that tonight's game still isn't huge. If the Steelers win and the Bengals lose, and it looks like they are going to lose, then the Steelers would have sole possession of first place in the AFC North. Well, they'd be tied with Cleveland, so I guess not sole possession, and stop me if you've heard me say tied with Cleveland before. It is Adam Crowley, 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. No Brian LaMartina, it ain't his show. Shirtless Tom back in the studio. He is behind the glass as always. Brian will be back with us tomorrow. Wes Euler will be on site with me here at Mullins on the North Shore for Corona Tailgate Talk. He is out parking the car. As I said, the Bengals were going to lose to the Atlanta Falcons. It looks like they just blocked a field goal. I'll keep you updated on everything going on around the National Football League, but most of today's program will be focused upon breaking down Steelers and Ravens, the rivalry of yesteryear and the rivalry of today. What does it mean? Who's going to win? We'll get to all that over the course of the program. Also, Pitt lost yesterday. Penn State lost yesterday. Penn State's a damn good football team. Their coach is a buffoon. Pitt is a bad football team. Their coach is a buffoon. We'll get into that a little bit later in the program as well. Uh, Dale Lawley going to be joining us today at 5 o'clock. We've got Bo Polka, who covers the Ravens for Press Box, joining us at 540, so a jam-packed program for you. Think about the way that this rivalry used to be played out, Steelers and Ravens. Uh, In 2008, the Steelers beat the Ravens three times, 23-20, 13-9, 23-14. And even though the Steelers swept Baltimore that year, I think you had to respect that squad. They played great defense, they ran the football, they were hard-nosed, they were tough to play against. Pittsburgh won the first two games of the series in such nail-biting fashion that I was not confident that they were going to win that AFC Championship game. Now, it was rookie quarterback versus Ben Roethlisberger, but it was just about a coin flip. I thought maybe the Steelers had the edge, but the Ravens' defense had given Ben Fits in both games prior to the playoffs. But we saw unflappable Flacco throw a pick-six, so Troy Polamalu sealed the deal for Pittsburgh. It was 16-14 to at the time and made it 23-14. to That was all she wrote. But each game was a bloodbath. Richard Mendenhall broke his leg on a hit from Ray Lewis earlier in the season. Willis McGahee and Ryan Clark were simultaneously... Knocked out on a hit in the AFC Championship game. Ben was always bruised and bloodied after the game. And you got to think about the combatants. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Drell Suggs, Bart Scott, Ray Rice, James Harrison, Troy Palomo, Lamar Woodley, Hines Ward. Stars, studs, hard-nosed players, throwback players, old-school players. Flacco, despite everything that I've said about him the last five years has been clutch in this rivalry. And he was clutch particularly in this rivalry early in his career, as was Ben. Think about that 13-9 victory in Baltimore in 2008. The Ravens had a chance to salt that puppy away up 9-6 to with a few minutes to go. And before the game, the Ravens were boasting about their defense, not the Steelers' defense, their defense being the best in the league. Ben and the Steelers, they went 1-23. 123 yards on their game-winning drive, and yeah, that's right. Due to penalties, they actually had to go all Canadian football. We saw Santonio. He caught the ball in the middle of the field, brought the ball into his body. Did it count? Was it over the line? Well, the Ravens bitched to high heaven after the game that it wasn't a touchdown. Harbaugh complained. Ray Lewis complained. And I remember at the time thinking, if this is the best defense in the league, as they said they were, then why are they complaining about the last inch instead of the 123 that they gave up out to the end zone? In 2010, there were three classics. The Ravens came into Heinz Field with Ben still suspended. Flacco found T.J. Hushmanzada in the back of the end zone with less than a minute left. Clutch. Steelers fell to 3-1. and one. Later in the year, the AFC North, as it always seemed to be, was up for grabs. With a chance to sweep Pittsburgh, Baltimore inexplicably was trying to throw the ball late to seal the deal. Troy came bursting off the edge and strip sack flack job, and the Steelers scored late to win that one. In the playoffs, classic. The Ravens took a 21-7 to lead at halftime. One of the weirdest strip sacks ever happened in that game where none of the Steelers looked like they wanted to jump on the football, knew that the football was live. One Raven and one Raven only picked it up and ran it into the end zone for the score. Steelers did come back. They won 31-24. Antonio Brown made the catch of the day against his helmet to salt that one away. Those were the good old days. Hall of Famers, Lewis, Reed, Troy, Ben, Suggs, and Harrison were special. If the Steelers didn't win in 2008, I think Baltimore wins the Super Bowl. If the Steelers didn't win in 2010, I think the Ravens go to the Super Bowl. Baltimore won in 2013. Steelers won in 2008. Back then, the games were heated. And the stakes were so high. Uh, A couple of years ago on Christmas, the Steelers pulled it out late with A.B. reaching over the goal line, and that was badass. That was important. It was for the division to give the Steelers an opportunity to try to win the Super Bowl. But it wasn't explicitly for the Super Bowl. It wasn't the AFC Championship game, and it wasn't violent the way that it used to be. Now, in the last 20 meetings between these two clubs, Steelers have won 10, the Ravens have won 10. It is a rivalry. It's still one of the best rivalries in the league, but as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't feel like it anymore because it doesn't compare to the rivalry of old. We talk about it all the time in sports that sometimes teams become victims of their own success. Sometimes coaches, general managers, quarterbacks, whomever, they become victims of their own success. Jamie Dixon, the perfect example, he comes in, Pitt's not a Final Four program, and he gets so close to the Final Four that then then becomes the expectation, and well, he's let go, mutually agreed apart ways, right? It was dumb. Jamie Dixon should still be the head coach at Pitt. He became a victim of his own success. I think this rivalry, while still good, is a victim of just how good it used to be. It was so good before that people don't look at it as the rivalry that it should be looked at. I think people here in Pittsburgh now hate the Patriots more than the Baltimore Ravens. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are close to being hated as much as the Baltimore Ravens. That series has had far more vitriol. That series has had far more maiming. That series doesn't seem to have any respect amongst the players. So that to me has become the rivalry, and it's because of 2008. It's because of 2005. You would think that those things would help strengthen this, would help fan, the fan bases remember just how good this rivalry is. But instead I think the rivalry now pales in comparison to the violence, to the vitriol, to the venom that there was back a decade ago. What say you? Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. It is different though. Both teams here are playoff contenders, but would you pick either one to win the Super Bowl? Uh, I don't think so. Joe Flacco's only been Super Bowl caliber once in his career. It's when they won the Super Bowl, and it's the best he's ever played. He's never played that well since. I doubt he ever will again. So I don't look at that team as one that can legitimately be a threat to make a run in the AFC. As for the Steelers, I'm feeling better and better about them every time I watch other teams play football. Look at what's going on around the league today. Atlanta, they put up 36. The Bengals have scored 31. No one wants to play defense in that game. The Dolphins, who we thought had a good defense coming into this game, gave up 38 points last time I checked to the New England Patriots. There's a bunch of points being scored all over the league, and... When you look at Detroit and Dallas, that game is higher scoring for both of those teams in comparison to the average. It's a low-scoring game compared to the day, though. So, I think you can win if you don't have a great defense. I still don't think the Steelers are Super Bowl caliber, but I am feeling a little bit better about them right now than I was a week ago. Certainly more than two weeks ago. As for the old rivalry, I'm getting nostalgic here, but it was special back then. Now it's a rivalry, but it's not the same. It also tells us and shows us how much football has changed in the last decade. You don't have to look around the league to think, wow, there's a lot of points, wow, this is looking like college. You don't have to watch the Thursday night football game between the Vikings and the Rams to know that. All you need to do is look at this rivalry, Steelers-Ravens, and see how it's changed over the years. The Christmas Day game was an offensive showcase much more than a defensive one. Le'Veon Bell was excellent in the fourth quarter. Antonio Brown took it over late with his touchdown. It was a high-scoring game. Last year, the Steelers beat the Ravens 39-38. to The games are as close as they've ever been, right? But they're close and high-scoring. So it shows you, I think, in a microcosm how the league and the game is changing in front of our very eyes. In fact, Raven-Steelers of the late 2000s was the last true old-school rivalry in the NFL the likes of which I don't think we'll ever see again, not in the same way, not with every blade of grass being defended, not with bounties on Heinz Ward's head, not with James Harrison maiming people, not with Joey Porter climbing into uh, the Ravens team bus trying to kill Ray Lewis. There were crackback, blindside blocks. Those are illegal now. So are hits to the head in any fashion. Receivers are deemed defenseless, and God forbid you even think about touching the quarterback. Those were the days, man, and those days are over. Steelers Ravens ain't ever going to be like that again, and no rivalry in the NFL is ever going to be like that again. Four one, two nine two 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 eight seven four is the number. You can go ahead and give me a ring at uh, or pardon me, hit me up on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Let me get you up to date on some of the things going on around the National Football League. Uh, if you are driving and you don't want to be looking at your phone and you shouldn't be. The Jags beating up on the Jets right now 25-12. to Blake Bortles started off the game with 11 straight completions and they only had two field goals to show for it. That's just about the most Jaguar stat you could possibly have, but they're going to hold on here. They're going to take care of the Jets at home. Eagles and Titans right now in overtime. Ten minutes to go. Eagles with the ball on their own 32-yard line. The Colts trailing at home to the winless Texans, 31-23. to Andrew Luck is a mess right now. And I know they're happy to have him back. I know he is the franchise. But he's throwing lollipops out there. And he doesn't look like he's right, and I wonder if he'll ever get right. That's pure speculation, but yikes. Bills are trailing the Packers 22 to nothing. Bills finally turn back into the Bills after the Vikings had their doors blown off by Buffalo. Uh, Bengals have the football now. It's a two-minute warning. They're on the Atlanta 37-yard line. Falcons up by five. We'll keep you up to date on that one for sure. If the Steelers win and Cincinnati loses... Even if Cleveland wins, the Steelers will still be in first place in the AFC North. So all the problems we thought that they had and do have aren't going to matter. Because after the first month of the season, the Steelers would still be in first place. Andy Dalton now under pressure. Not allowed to give play-by-play. So I'll give it an extra second here. Uh, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And he's tackled four yards past the line of scrimmage. Keep you up to date on that one. The Patriots beat the Dolphins 38-7 to because, of course, they did. Now, I fell for the trap. I fell for what we always seem to fall for, right? Uh, on my show on Friday, I said, I think the Patriots win the division, but I think that the Dolphins win this game. And the, and the Patriots make up all the ground uh, in the remaining 12 games of the season. Well, they won't have to, now, As the Patriots move to 2-2, two and two, the Dolphins move to 3-1. and one. No AFC East team has beaten the Patriots In Foxborough with Tom Brady playing since 2006. It's believable. It's not even unbelievable. The Cowboys, they hold on to beat the Lions 26-24 last second field goal. And the Bears shellacked last week's opponent for the Pittsburgh Steelers 48-10. There's a lot more games coming up, including the Browns playing in Oakland. Baker Mayfield gets his first start for Cleveland. Coming up next, we'll keep you up to date on the final, probably, of this Cincinnati and Atlanta game. And I'll tell you why James Franklin, while taking responsibility yesterday, actually took responsibility for nothing. It's a Crowley show. No, it's not. This is Tailgate Talk with Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Presented by Corona. Find your beat for game day. Now, here's Adam Crowley. Andrew Luck and the Colts were just able to tie the game. So, so much for me saying he's got a little lollipop noodle arm. Uh, he's thrown for 380 yards and four touchdowns. Now a big toss over the middle as the Titans are trying to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. This ball dropped. Oh, my God. Keep you date on what's going on all around the National Football League. The Bengals, uh, they are currently inside of Falcons territory. My eyesight's not helping me here. Fourth and four, and they're able to convert now. Getting into the 12-yard line, there are 14 seconds left to go. Cincinnati calling a timeout. If they score a touchdown, they will win. They're down five points right now. Uh, Speaking of being down and having an opportunity to come back, Ohio State yesterday was down uh, 13 against Penn State. They were able to come back And win if you're a Penn State fan. It's a choke job if you're an Ohio State fan. Oh my god, what a comeback. It was tremendous here's what James Franklin had to say after the game and He's trying to take accountability or at least he makes you think he's trying to be accountable But it's total deflection take a listen. Just so everybody's crystal clear. We're a great program. We lost to an elite program And we're that close We have gotten comfortable being great. We will no longer be comfortable being great. We're going to learn from this. We're going to grow from this. And we're going to find a way to take that next step as a program because we've been knocking at the door long enough. And it's my job as the head coach. I'm ultimately responsible for all of it. How about James Franklin there saying he's ultimately responsible for all of it while waxing poetic about the state of the program as opposed to talking about the play that cost them an opportunity to be an elite program yesterday. It's fourth down and five, and it's after a timeout by both teams. You've got all the time in the world to think about what you're going to do to get five yards. All you need to do, extend the game, the quarterback had run for a buck fifty, Trace McSorley, a Heisman candidate, and what happens? They hand the ball off. Let's talk about that instead of talking about the program not being elite. Penn State is right there with Ohio State. Yes, they just need to play, make a play here or there, but the play that they didn't make there was because the head coach didn't have balls. Because the head coach... Was scared. As good of a recruiter as James Franklin is, he ain't a good in-game coach. Joe Moorhead, one of the best coordinators in the entire country, is gone, and I think they missed him big time yesterday. You can talk all you want about Saquon Barkley. The bigger loss for Penn State is Joe Moorhead. There's no doubt about that in my mind. You're going to lose players all the time in college football, and hell, you are going to lose coordinators, but you want continuity. I think continuity breeds success in college football. And if you've got Trace McSorley, if you've got Joe Moorhead, I think that game might just end a little bit differently. Uh, Wes Euler is on site with me here. You can hear him on Steelers Nation Radio, though he hasn't named his Steelers Nation Radio show just yet. uh, Big college football guy. James Franklin talks a big game always. That was as brutal as it gets, and... In the post game, while he did say he's taking responsibility, he sure did push a lot of the responsibility onto his players first, man. Yeah, there was a lot in that
1: soundbite there that we didn't even get into, or that wasn't in that soundbite. Part of me that we could get into. He talked about how the difference in that game, or the difference in the past two years, might be that his players don't take enough notes in meetings. Uh, uh, that was literally one of the things that he said was, you know, our, our coordinators need to make sure that God, if that's the difference between two points, Ohio State's beaten Penn State two years in a row by a margin of two points, one point each game. I, I mean, do you think that's what makes Alabama great is because Nick Saban has all the guys in meetings taking notes on everything that the coaches no, said? No, that's what is the difference between a great and an elite program is bringing your binder to the team facility. And And another thing that he said that wasn't there was, this is word for word. I've got it right here. I'll read it word for word. You thought I was a psychopath before. I'm getting ready to take it to a whole other level. What what exactly does that mean? I mean, like we people thought you were a psychopath before. Does that mean that you're admitting that like that people think you're a little quirky, that you're a little crazy, that maybe when you come out and, and talk about Akron and Pitt and some of the things that you say about other teams, or or calling a timeout to ice the Georgia Southern kicker when you're up 56 points last year. You ready to take it to a whole another level? Like, I just, I don't understand. Like you said, there was so much he could have talked about. And it, it, it reminds me a little bit, I tweeted this out earlier today, reminds me a little bit of John Tortorella, where he does a lot of talking. And he says a lot of things that sound motivational maybe or sound like, okay, something's going to change. But they're always empty platitudes, right? It, it's, it's always the same thing when it comes down to it. And, and I think, I, I'm sure you saw too, he got into it with a fan when he was walking off the field. It's just, listen, I get it's a frustrating loss. Uh, You're up 12 points with under eight minutes left at home, your biggest game of the year. And what is, it's tough. Penn State's in a tough position. This is a little bit of a, uh, you know, a uh, a different topic here. But Penn State's in a tough spot because they don't really have a true rival. Right? Like, Ohio State is a rival, but for Ohio State, Michigan will always be more important. Like, and so that game is so big to Penn State and has been now for, what, three, four years since they've had this revitalization. And I, so I get it, like two years in a row losing by a point where you had the game in hand both times. But man, I just feel like there's so many different ways he could have gone with that. And that was probably the, the most ill-advised route to take.
0: I'll take it one further with James Franklin. It's a really good point by you that he's chirping at the fans walking off the field. It's a total clown show look, right? And he does stuff like that all the time. He does. And you mentioned that they don't have any rivals, right? Well, we see the hashtag all the time. Hashtag unrivaled. PSU unrivaled. PS unrivaled. Really? Really? You think you're head and shoulders above everyone else? Buddy, make the right play call there, put the play in the best player's hand, and you've got an opportunity. They're going to they're gonna go down the field and get a field goal then. It, it's absolutely going to happen. We know he's a used car salesman, right, quote-unquote, James Franklin. He's a hell of a recruiter. Do you, think, do you
1: think that last night his actions, his comments, are maybe a little bit of a, like, I don't want to say a deflection, but that he's really trying to take away from the real issues. Like the fact that they dominated the first 20, 25 minutes of that game and were only up six points. It's 100% deflection. Like the fact that Trace McSwirly, (laughs) McSwirly, I always say that, (laughs) McSwirly. His head was spinning in the toilet last night. I mean, he had a, a, I'm going to say esque, a Johnny Manziel esque game last night. Maybe we'll we'll say great value Johnny Manziel, Kmart Johnny Manziel game last night, and they still lost. Like, are you going to get better than that from him all season? I don't know. And are you going to play better all season than you did in those first 20, 25 minutes? I don't think so. And it's still – there were still a lot of shortcomings there for a team that is supposed to be unrivaled competing for Big Ten championships and playoff spots now every single year.
0: They're not going to lose, I don't think, again the rest of the year. Probably not. Do they they, play Michigan? They do in the big house. Which
1: could be be a game. They don't play Wisconsin. They
0: have one of those years where they dodge Wisconsin, right? Correct. And everybody that they – That would be tough. Iowa, they come to Beaver Stadium. Michigan State comes to Beaver Stadium. So it all lines up for them. I said yesterday, if they beat Ohio State, they're They're, absolutely going to the playoff. They could still go to the playoff. They could. I I don't think that they will, though. Uh, I think that this is the kind of year where you need to win your conference championship and be undefeated or have one loss or less because Notre Dame's now. I was
1: just going to say, and they're through the the two toughest teams that they were going to play all year. They already beat them both. So Notre Dame looks like one of those teams that could. I don't. You never want to say coast, right? Especially now in college football. I mean, it, it, like it's that whole any given Saturday, any given Sunday thing. But it does sure look like Notre Dame is probably going to occupy one of those playoff spots, and then you can almost certainly pencil in Alabama, right? <laughs> so it, it, Daddy, it, you could pencil them in for the national championship. But I, but I feel like too the the Pac twelve is almost already kind of eliminated. Itself. I think so because everyone's got a loss. So I, I still think Penn everyone's State's, gonna lose. If Penn State wins out the rest of their season, say they they, they win a, a big Big Ten championship game comfortably, like impressively, they win the Big Twelve cha- or the Big Ten championship. But they'd have to hop like,
0: over Ohio State in order they to would. do that. They would. So I don't think that's gonna happen because I don't see Ohio State losing the rest of the way. No, I think Ohio State's a really good football team. They've got Man, their they're, flaws. They're, they don't have Bosa. Their front. I was just gonna
1: say their front seven, even without God, even monster. without Bosa.
0: So I, I, when I look at it, Penn State missed their opportunity to. Really be not just nationally relevant, but in the national title conversation. That's now gone, and it's not about not taking notes. It's not about... Some of them, them being a great oh, program and not an elite yeah. program. It's about them not making three or four plays over the course of that game. Tackle the screenplay whenever it's first and four or first and ten from your own four-yard line, Ohio State, at the at the opposite end of the stadium. Uh, you have to make that play. You can't give them a 40-yard pass there. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, <laughs> I'm choking just like Penn State at the uh, end of the game. The touchdown for Ohio State. Oh you have to wrap up. You have to tackle that mf'er. You've got to make that play. There were there are four or five plays over the course of that game that should have been made by <coughs> choking again by Penn State, uh, and really maybe even least which was the fourth and five, right? And and that's the thing too. I
1: kind of to circle back here to where we started. I feel like a lot of the real issues or maybe he did do that on purpose to kind of take the, the pressure, take the heat, take the spotlight off of his team, off of his coordinators. Uh, man, I don't know. T- to circle back, we were talking about those first 20-25 minutes where Penn State really dominated the game yeah. and got two field goals out of it. They kept running that play where they would bring, I forget their running back's name now, not Saquon Barkley, around <laughs> in motion, and then and then Trace would throw to him. But it wasn't a forward pass, right? Every time... They were drawing up the place that the pass was going behind the line of scrimmage. And they ran it three or four times in the first quarter. And every time they ran it, I I was watching the game with some of my buddies who are Ohio State fans. And every time they ran it, I was like, that that play call makes no sense to me. Because if your running back doesn't catch that ball, it's a fumble. And sure enough, on one of the drives where they were rolling in the first quarter, where they ended up settling for a field goal instead of getting six or seven, they had a first down, they ran that play, the running back dropped the ball, he had to jump on it, and it, they ended up losing four or five yards and had to kick a field goal. It's just the, the, the decision-making in the key, in the tight moments, in the and you know how this is not every sporting event. There's, there's just a few key moments, plays, whatever it might be, moments in basketball and hockey, plays in football, that you can look back on and say that's where the game really turned. And, and there was just too many of those that didn't go in Penn State's favor.
0: Wes Euler, Adam Crowley, it's Corona Tailgate Talk, live from Mullins on the North Shore here. Uh, 412-922-2874, the number to get involved, you can tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I think you make a good point there, Wes, and when you look at Ohio State and Penn State coming into the game, they were the top two scoring offenses in the entire country, Yeah. and you saw what Penn State turns into when they play a really good team. Mm -hmm. Now, look, I know that they put up 26 points Uh, I understand that they move the football. I get that Trace McSorley had a really good game. But if Joe Moorhead's there, you believe a lot more in them being that number one scoring offense in the country as opposed to seeing what we saw yesterday, which was we're a good offense, but we're a quarterback and a couple of athletic receivers. Uh, we're we're not the kind of offense dynamically the way that we've been the last couple of years, I don't think. I think it was obvious in yesterday's game. I couldn't agree more
1: with you, and we've said his name now a bunch of times, but I think Joe Moorhead is one of those guys who, he's not a college football sexy name, but anybody who is around the sport in the business will, will tell you how brilliant he is and how paramount he was. And obviously Saquon Barkley was a huge, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, it was a huge part of that too. But yeah, you, I mean, you said... I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that that 6 nothing lead that Penn State got out too early when they were really controlling the game, like I've said now a couple times for the first 20, 25 minutes, there's no doubt in my mind that that would have been 10 points, 17 points. Yes. Maybe even 21, maybe 13 points, 21 points. You know, uh, 20 and we saw points. they could blow if an 18-pointer last year, but at Joe, least you get out to that healthy lead. I, I think that that 6-point lead would have been doubled, tripled, uh, whatever you want to th- – whatever, <laughs> however you care to let your mind wander. If Joe Moorhead was still was still calling the plays, and I I don't think it's you want to know what the difference to me is that this might be changing transitioning here a little bit. Do but it. James Franklin talks about how well, the difference is is our guys aren't early for meetings. You know our guys are on time for meetings, which isn't on time; it's late. You know they're not early for meetings, and they don't take notes, and they don't do this, and our coordinators don't stress on the guys how important it is. Da, 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 well, da. fix it before the damn game, then. I don't think that's the difference between a program like Penn State and a program like Ohio State or Alabama. You want to know what I think the real difference is? Programs like Alabama and Ohio State have coaches and coordinators and players, but more so coaches and coordinators that have been in those types of situations a lot more times than James Franklin and his staff have. Let's be honest. James Franklin came from Vanderbilt. How many big games did he play a year? Until last year. We talk about this. Until last year, so two years ago when Penn State had that famed block the kick against Ohio State, took it back, won the game. They were talking about firing James Franklin the week mm-hmm. before that game. He had just lost the pit two weeks earlier. I think they were 2-2 two and two at that point. Like, they were talking about James Franklin getting fired. And, and I, I still think... And listen, this might sound like I'm piling on the guy right now, and I think it's pretty clear from anyone who's listened to this segment. I've never been a huge fan of his. I don't think he's that good of a coach. Great. And you don't have to be a great X's and O's coach to have success in college sports. You don't. There's plenty of guys that
0: have had success without being great X's and O guys. I, I think I, what you need to do but is... But you better have
1: good coordinators. You better have guys right. like Joe Moorhead.
0: And he's he is a tremendous recruiter. He was 9-3 and three a couple of years at Vanderbilt. He finished in the top 25 a couple of times at Vanderbilt when they mm-hmm. hadn't done it in 50 years. Yeah, He's a good recruiter. Great I think recruiter. he's a good motivator. Great. I don't think he's a good X's and O's guy, as you said. And when you aren't a great X's and O's guy, you have got to be able to delegate. Mike Tomlin, I think, did that better than anybody for the longest time. Because Todd Haley was a good offensive coordinator in this league. He just ran out of time here in Pittsburgh. Bruce Arians is a good offensive coordinator in this league. He just ran out of time in Pittsburgh. And when Mike Tomlin got here, he said, Dick LeBeau, we'll run your defense. We'll run the 3-4 even though I'm a Tampa 2-4-3 guy. I think you need to be like that. Nick Saban. I don't think he's a great X's and O's guy. He hires the best coordinators uh-huh. in the country yep. that come in, they scheme you up, and they've got the talent. And he's not afraid to change. He used to be, be less Miles yes. and turned into, yes. we'll do whatever we can with the quarterback that we've got because we've got the talent now that we can do anything. I think Jimbo Fisher
1: isn't a great X's and O's guy. He's won a national title. Yep. Uh, Kevin Ollie was clearly not an X's and O's no. guy. He won a national championship in basketball with UConn. In college sports especially, I mean, you referenced some great NFL examples. In college sports especially, you can get away with, with not being the best bring X's and the O's guy. If you can bring the talent in and you've got the staff uh, beneath you. But I think it's pretty clear that up against a, a guy like Urban Meyer and, and maybe even a guy like Jim Harbaugh, that that franklin just doesn't have the the gravitas of of the football depth and the football knowledge that those guys have had like you said it he he did what he did at vanderbilt was impressive and he had them playing in some big games and, and, and they won they you know winning records in bowl games which at vanderbilt is by any by any measure is success But I just look at those games like last night. Until last year, James Franklin hadn't played in many of those. How many of those has Urban Meyer played in? From Florida to Ohio State, he's lost so many big games like that at Ohio State. Won and lost both. I mean, you you remember sad Urban Meyer eating Papa John's pizza at a golf court after, after they blew their undefeated season to Michigan State. I just think... That's to me where the deflection from James Franken is the real difference between the elite programs, uh, the the Bamas and the Ohio State's at Penn
0: State. They've just been there more often. Big time referendum coming up on his tenure at Penn State with Trace McSorley's gone. It's going to be huge because he's going to start to build equity. He's going to start to learn how to handle these games. Exactly. He will learn how to win these kind of football games just by being in them. Mm -hmm. But Urban Meyer, we now know, ain't going nowhere. No, Uh, It doesn't matter what happens. (laughs) Urban Meyer ain't going. Well, unless they have a a really bad season, then he'd probably get canned. Right, exactly. If he was losing, (laughs) then that would be the case. Uh, Jim Harbaugh ain't going anywhere. Wisconsin, while they're not a great program, they're one to be reckoned with. Iowa. Impressive
1: what Paul Chris has done there.
0: Yes, and Kirk Ferentz. He's been there forever, and he will sneak up. You think Michigan State's going to continue to get back to where they were? D'Antonio's a better coach. Than James Franklin, especially on Saturdays, so he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to keep getting better because those guys are all seasoned war horses. Great point by West. When we come back, four one two nine two 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 eight seven four is the number. We'll get you some finals, including what the Cincinnati Bengals were able to do. Will the Steelers still be in first place, or will the Steelers be in first place if they win this game? We'll get to that. And Pat Narduzzi, yikes. Corona Tailgate Talk on ESPN Pittsburgh.
1: This is Tailgate Talk with Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Presented by Corona. Find your beat
0: for game day. Now, here's Adam Crowley. The Bengals win the most 2018 game of 2018 as they put up 37 points. Atlanta puts up 36 points. They score in the final seconds of the game. AJ Green diving, end zone, great throw by Dalton, who balled. 9 of 41, 337 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. I said before the season, Cincinnati is a playoff team. I think they're legit. Their defense can get after the quarterback, they tackle the catch really well, and offensively, they've got the weapons. As long as Andy Dalton is protected, that team can put up points. They've always proven that. Uh, Four years ago, I thought they had the best roster in the league. Andy Dalton played like a really good quarterback then. He's not a bad player, but he's not the kind of player who elevates talent. He needs talent to elevate him. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of teams in the league would like to have a guy like that because you can get the other talent easier than you can get the quarterback. But they're good. And Andy Dalton's playing some solid football. Uh, we've got another game in overtime right now. It's the Texans and the Colts. Uh, we just saw Hopkins drop a ball in the end zone. He had to dive, and it would have given the Houston Texans the victory. The Colts are up 34-31. to It's second and nine at the Indianapolis 36 for the Texans. A field goal continues the game, a touchdown wins the game, nothing means the Colts, they'll win that game. I said on my show on Friday that I thought the Raiders were going to beat the Browns. It's Cleveland, do I really need to say more? But they've also got a rookie quarterback who's starting for the first time, playing in a dirt field, traveling all the way across the country, and lo and behold, we see Him throw an interception, a pick six, seven to three Raiders at the end of the first quarter. The Giants are up on the Saints right now, who just converted a fake punt. It's seven nothing. Higantes. It's now a second down and three for the Saints on the New York Giants' 17 yard line. The Chargers they're trailing the 49ers right now, seven to nothing, and the Titans. We didn't tell you about this one before. They beat the Eagles. 26-23 26-23 at home, and maybe Tennessee's a good football team. Last week, they beat the division champ from last year. This week, they beat the NFL champ from last year. Carson Wentz still working his way back. The numbers look pretty good, though, 33-50, 348, two touchdowns. A lot of Eagles fans in attendance, but Tennessee still able to pull that one out. Uh, Cowboys beat the Lions last second field goal, 26-24. We'll keep you up to date on everything else going on around the National Football League. Here's a story that we did not touch on in the first segment. And we'll get to Ravens and Steelers coming up at 5. Dale Lolly is going to join us from DKPittsburghSports.com and the Steelers Radio Network. It's been reported by a number of different outlets now that the Steelers are looking for a good player and a second-round pick for Le'Veon Bell. Just take a second here. Just pause for one second. That's not going to happen. Uh, The Steelers aren't going to get a player and a draft pick for Le'Veon. Le'Veon ain't even going to play this year, it doesn't look like. Or there's not the guarantee that Le'Veon's going to play this year. So why a team would give up a rostered player, one of their 53, and an asset in the future for a guy that you don't know what you're going to get, I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think you have to look all that far to figure out just where the value actually lies. Earl Thomas being shot by the Seattle Seahawks, right? Their value that they're placing on him is a second-round pick. They will move him, reportedly, for a number two. Teams have offered number twos. That's the value for him, and he's a guy that we know is going to play. So, I don't think that the Steelers would get anything more than that for Lavia. That being said, I've seen a couple of people critical of the Steelers asking Price today on Twitter, well, that's what you do. I mean, that's how you go about this. When you're trying to trade for... What the guy's name is the Pirates traded for, uh, the guy who came from Tampa Bay, Chris Archer, you're going to ask so far for baseball season now in my mind, you're going to ask for a couple of big time players in return that's the way you do business so the Steelers are asking the moon they're hoping that they get the stars and I do think that there would be a shot of some team being stupid enough to give up a second round pick for Le'Veon Bell and now the reason the Steelers won't take a pick that's worse than that, though, is because they're going to get a compensatory pick in 2020 in the third round. So you need to get something better than that in order to make it worthwhile to move this dude right now. Here's why it's probably not going to happen, though. You need that. There are only, I think, nine teams that have the cap space, uh, maybe even less than that now, that have the cap space. You also need to be a running back away, you think, from winning a championship, right? And you need to be willing to have draft pick equity enough of it to think if this guy does not play we're going to be okay without this so I just don't see it happening I don't think it's going to get done and I do ultimately think Le'Veon Bell will wind back up with the Pittsburgh Steelers later on in the season and I think they need him think about James Conner what he's done he was great in the first game against Cleveland fumble aside and can't take that away but he was great against Cleveland from the fumble to his 27-yard game, at the end of the game last week, Le'Veon, or pardon me, James Conner rushed the ball 34 times for 40 yards. And I realized the right side of the offensive line was not there. You're dealing with Filer and Finney as opposed to DeCastro and Gilbert. But those are horrendous numbers. That's as bad as it gets in this league. That's just over one yard per carry. I don't care who's blocking for you, if it's Larry Moe and Curly, Le'Veon Bell would have made something happen there. And Le'Veon Bell just by being there would help the Steelers offense. So if he comes back, and I think that he will in week eight or week ten, if he's smarter week eight, so probably week ten, I think they're gonna want to play him. Now his teammates might not like it, but the first time he pops off for a buck twenty five and a couple tutties, they ain't gonna care. Uh, they care about winning. These guys are animals, and their fuel—what they feed on, what they feast on—is Ws. Just like Jameis Winston, who did get an opportunity to play this week. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. More coming up from around the National Football League, and with the Baltimore Ravens Steelers game coming up in about nine minutes here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Before we get to that, watching Pitt yesterday. Well, it made me giddy, positively giddy, as I do not care for them one bit. But it made me realize just how dumb Heather Like was to give Pat Narduzzi a seven-year extension. Right now, he's one of the ten worst coaches in the FBS. And you can't convince me otherwise. If he's your defensive coordinator, I think you can live with that. If he's your head coach, I can't believe in him. He runs up and down on the sideline like a buffoon. I think it'd be tough for a player to respect that. He says before the season to the fans that pay to get in there, that have season tickets, we're going to Charlotte for the ACC championship game. We'll see you there because we'll be there. I mean, that's a joke. It's funny. haha, Laugh. I mean, this guy thinks that team's going to the ACC championship. Just you see what happened to North Carolina when they went to Miami? They lost by 37 points. Pitt goes on the road into a stadium where there's 15 people. And they lose that game by three because they don't do anything at all offensively in the second half. Alan Saunders, who's a friend of the program, friend in real life, he covers Pitt religiously. Does a good job with it. He says he was actually encouraged at times by the UCF game because for the first time we really saw a lot of nickel defense out of Pitt. How is that encouraging? It's 2018. If it takes you until game number five to start playing nickel defense when it's basically everybody else's base defense, that's not a coach learning and adapting quickly enough for my liking. That's a coach learning and adapting after it's too late. Uh, that's like putting the arcane in the guy after he's already dead. Uh, that's like doing CPR after the guy's been cold for 45 minutes. Uh, There's no point at this point. Uh, It doesn't matter the changes you make right now. You're not an ACC contender You're not a division contender, and it's sad if you're a Pitt fan Because holy crap is that division eminently winnable Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion Uh, Duke lost to the team that lost to Old Dominion Miami eh, They're okay They're fine, they're good on defense, they lost to Pitt last year. So, this is a division that's winnable, but not when your coach is a knucklehead. And how bad does the defense have to be year over year when this guy's supposed to be a great defensive mind? Everything you say about Tomlin Steelers fans, where you crush the guy because he's a defensive-minded coach, and yet the defense isn't good enough, it's the same way with Pet tenfold because they haven't done crap with the guy. Oh, they beat Clemson. Oh, they beat Miami. Here's the part of the conversation where I make the argument that those were the worst things that could have happened to Pitt. You beat Clemson, and it drums up interest in the program enough to where you think, okay, we've got the right guy. We're on the right track. Last year, you're 5-7, and seven, and you look at it like it's the backyard brawl of 2007. This is going to be our springboard. Our program is taking off. We beat a legitimate contender. This is the real us. The rest of it, eh, Mulligan, we found our quarterback. We're okay. Well, Penny, Kenny, Kenny, kick it. Kenny Pickett is just a guy. And this coach, he gets a seven-year extension after they beat two top-five teams and go eight and four, eight and four, or pardon me, eight and five, eight and five, and five and seven. Uh, the worst thing that could have happened is them put money into this guy because this year they're going to go four and eight, and they're going to wish, oh my God, we should be able to fire him. 4129222874 coming up next Dale Lally of DKPittsburghSports.com and the Steelers Radio Network enough college football on to the real show which is Steelers Ravens tonight from Heinz Field in Pittsburgh